This is the Anything Show with John Francois, featuring Andrew Venderton. Worst places for a first date. Now, uh, first off, Andrew, I think objectively you said that a fancy restaurant is just an awful place for a first date. So tell me why you think that. And also, if you have a personal story, I want to hear that. A fancy restaurant to me is a terrible place for a first date because one that sets the expectation for the person that this is where you normally eat at and you probably don't. (laughs) Two, the food could be terrible and that means you wasted a ton of money on food that wasn't that good. Three, you really want to get to know the person so you honestly don't get a chance to enjoy the experience of the fancy restaurant fully because you're more focused on the person that you brought. And then my final part of it, Four, it may just not be the place to go. You may have heard all about like, oh, it's fancy, it's great. And then you get there and you're like, this is it. And I'm paying all this money. And I do have a personal experience story with it because I went on a first date with somebody last year to a restaurant called Black and Blue here in Rochester. This is supposed to be a fancy restaurant. It cost $300 for the entire meal. And the food was trash. It tasted bad. I went and you know being vegan you don't get many options at certain restaurants but i go to this restaurant they said they had a vegan menu it was supposed to be very very good so i ordered asparagus potatoes and then there was supposed to be a vegan mac and cheese with vegan chicken i got everything delivered to the table it was looking good But then when I tried to taste it, it all had this weird, funny aftertaste. Like they used an artificial sweetener in it. So everything tasted terrible. And it was a waste of time. The wine was good, but everything else, bad. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because here's my thing with fancy restaurants. Like they'll, you know, you'll pull up the menu, you'll see your dish and the dish will usually be the size of your pinky finger. It'll have some fancy name like the like whatever fancy French name it is. And it'll be like, like you said, three hundred dollars, five thousand dollars. And then, like you said, you taste it and it's like. What am I tasting? Rubber? Like what? What the hell is this? Like why? Why? If people eat like this, I don't want any part of this at all. Uh, right. At all. You know it's going to be expensive if it's got weird names and everything is on small plates. If you have small plates in front of you, it's going to be an expensive restaurant, and it probably won't be that good. Did you see that person again after that first date? No, we ended that very swiftly. Not only was the food bad, but the conversation was just as terrible. Oh, boy. So it was his idea to go to that restaurant. It was. It was Mm. his idea to go to the restaurant. And then he didn't want to (laughs) pay. So I was like, okay, whatever. I will just pay myself. And then the other side of it, he showed up late on top of not paying for his own food. Wow. How late did he show up? About 20 minutes after I got there. Jeez. So here's my question to you. If you have the choice for the restaurant, what would you choose? Because the thing about you is that you're a, you're vegan. And I mean, maybe I'm wrong on this. I don't know what Rochester, New York is like in terms of vegan restaurant. Uh, or I don't know what Rochester is like in terms of vegan options at restaurants. Um, but I would think that there might not be as many as, say, like your normal meat options. So what would you choose um, because, you know, there's, there could be that stigma that some people have, like, oh, if it's vegan, it might have a fancy, like, elitist thing about it. What would you choose if it was up to you for that date, you know, for the restaurant? Now, what's funny for me 
There's two places that I would choose off the top of my head. The first one being McDonald's. The other would be this restaurant called The Red Fern. And The Red Fern, it's a vegan restaurant, fully vegan. Everything on the menu is vegan. You cannot get any meat options. And it's in a basement of an apartment building. So it's got like this very like offbeaten path look to it. And the food is super cheap, which I love. McDonald's, food is super cheap. The only thing I can't eat McDonald's french fries because they are not vegan. But everything else that they have, like the salad options and stuff, I could still eat. And for me, I would choose one of those two restaurants because I'm more focused on the person I'm having the date with as opposed to the food. The food to me is secondary when I'm going on a date. But yeah, Yeah. so uh, and it's funny because McDonald's, they're coming out with plant based McNuggets. Uh, I mean, is that something that would interest you? Unfortunately, no, because they still won't be vegan. When they cook the nuggets, they're going to cook them in the same oil that they cook the meat nuggets in. So, and probably the seasoning for them too won't be very vegan. Yeah. So speaking of McDonald's, it does come up on this list. Uh, I think the Metro website did a poll about the 10 worst places for a first date. McDonald's was second. <laughs> um, I mean... It could be first. Maybe it doesn't have to be on the list because I think it should be safe to say that you should not go to a fast food restaurant for a first date. Here's the thing. So for like fast food, I would say like once you're like deep into a relationship, like you're comfortable, you just want to do a night out. Very simple. Fine. Fast food. Many dates in or many years in. Fine. I think as a first impression to. uh bring someone into that aura of just like, Oh God, stanky smelling fries, employees who are miserable, children being loud at the play place. It's like, eh, is that really the vibe that you want to give on the first date? Like it it should be all about you and the other person trying to get to know each other, trying to see if you have a chemistry and with all that fast food, sketchy distraction around you. I don't know. doesn't seem like a great first date for me. I mean, it has its ups and downs. It has its ups and downs. It can be very bad, depending on which McDonald's you go to or fast food restaurant you choose. Um, I actually recently went on a first date with somebody about three weeks ago, and it was quite interesting. We were planning on going to a very fancy restaurant, and it was going to be Ox and Stone is what it's called here, and they do like gourmet tacos. It's going to be delicious. But then we switched, and I was like, let's meet at this bar called Temple. It's a very divey bar. There's nothing special about it. And I have to say that was probably the best date I've had in a very long time. Because, you know, the bar, it's more relaxed, laid back, no pressure. Like you guys can, and, and especially you have drinks. Drinks usually get people a little bit more loose and a little bit more fun. So, yeah, I would imagine that was a lot better. Oh, yeah, it was. They started singing karaoke. And then I was like, okay, this is what we need for a first date. And it went very well. Oh, and I- I love it. Yeah, going through this list, I think a fancy restaurant, is that even on the list? Oh, yeah, a restaurant is actually on the list of the 10 worst places for a first date. And you know what? I think uh, to circle back to the fancy part, I think if it's a fancy one, fancy, expensive, yeah, that would be a worse place because there is that high expectation that you're setting. Like, oh, if you date me for the long run, we're going to go to a Boubon Gijon Gijon and spend like $5,000 a plate. And eh, that's a lot. That's a lot of pressure. 
And maybe the person that you're taking would be intimidated by that. Would just be like, oh, okay, well, no, I think I just want somebody more down to earth who's going to eat tacos with me. Um, but if it's like, you know, a more down to earth comfort food restaurant, I don't see why not. Because I think that a restaurant date in general can be one of the greatest places for a first date because you're sitting down, you're eating. I mean, you're not going to eat in silence. You're, you're, it's designated so that you could look the person in the eye as you're eating and have small talk or not small talk, but long talk about the food, about what their interests are. So, you know, I would, I would edit that part of this list to say a fancy restaurant would be a worse place for a first date. Um, you know, oddly enough, going to a bar, like Andrew, you, you're, you're saying that you had a good time at the bar with your date, but in this list, going to a bar is a worse place for a first date. Now I can see both sides of that. I mean, on your side, you had a nice loosey goosey, good time, but you know, alcohol can uh, react the other way with other people. It could make them aggressive or a turnoff or whatever. So I could, I could see both sides of that. Uh, for some reason, this had to be said, swimming was voted one of the 10 worst places for a first date. <laughs> Have you ever gone swimming with somebody on a first date? Never. And I just want to know who has. Why would you go swimming? At, well, you know what? I can actually see the logic behind it. You want to see what's going on under those clothes first? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, you want to see if there's physical chemistry. But at the same time, it's just like. I, I just don't like, Hey, I, I haven't met you for the first time. I'm meeting you on an app. Let's, let's go swimming. Let's go take our clothes off and be vulnerable right off the bat. I mean, I, I need, I need time. I need time. I mean, I'm not even a swimmer at all. Uh, but if I was, I would need time to get up to the point where I'm comfortable with showing you my body. <laughs> I agree with you. I'm not the biggest swimmer. I will get in the water and have a good time, but for a first date, I can't imagine going swimming because where are you going to go? Like, there's no place you can go swimming, at least that I know of, where it's just going to be intimate setting where you can have fun with each other. I feel yeah, like... Look, that was, it, it, I mean, look, it, there, are, there are some first dates where right out of the bat, the people are just looking to hook up and have fun and maybe in like a skinny dipping sense, which I always like to say that's something that white people like to do in rural places. Uh, <laughs> uh, so maybe in that sense, sure. Uh, but I, I don't know, unless you're like two professional Olympic quality swimmers, I, I just don't know if swimming is a common first date thing. So I can understand why swimming would be on the list of uh, worst places for a first date. Um Watching a sporting event, worst place for a first date. I mean, you know, there is a lot of toxic male aggression at these sporting events. Uh, and, and it could be on the female end, too. Um, and there's no room for conversation. I mean, it, you know, everybody's very rowdy and screaming and you're focused on the game. So uh, possible exception is if you and your significant other who you're bringing on the first date have a sports bond. But again, from a conversational getting to know you standpoint, meh, yeah, it's, it's almost up there with a movie. Yeah, you can't really talk. It's going to be super loud. I don't understand all of the sports. So for me, I'd be like, okay, did he just get a home run? What happened here? Like, is this golf or hockey? You got to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And in, in your case for the Super Bowl, okay, uh, do I have to watch the last episode of football to understand this episode of football? Like, what's going on? Like <laughs> Fight me to the season finale. That makes no sense. I need to see episode one. Um, I don't know why. Again, I don't know why this had to be said. One of the 10 worst places for a first date, a funeral. Uh, apparently people have taken, uh, I, I don't know. Look, okay. 
sure, maybe you've had a family member or a friend that has meant a lot to you and you're going to their funeral and it just happens to line up with this person that you're dating for the first time. Keep keep that to yourself. Keep that to yourself. I feel like that's a very sad personal way to start a dating experience. <laughs> what message are you giving if the first experience together is death? That's the one I need to know. And on the other side of it, who invites somebody to a funeral? Like, it, that is a very specific event that I feel like is not invitation. It's you go if you know you need to go. My guess is that it's very Romeo and Juliet-esque. Maybe the person's just like, oh, I just want to symbolize to you that we should die together. <laughs> we should die, swords crossed, or whatever the fuck they did. I don't know. <laughs> like, just imagine someone be like, let's take our first picture in front of the casket. And it's like, really? Is this what we're doing? Yeah. Oh, boy. Going to a public park is voted one of the 10 worst places for a first date. Um, yeah. You know what? If the weather is terrible and if the park is sketchy, that's what I would say. I would say that there is um, there, there is something to be said about a nice romantic walk through a park. If it's a nice day, if the park is nice and clean and spacious, I think going to a public park, depending on the park, may not be a bad idea. That's just my opinion. I don't know what you think about that, Andrew. Parks for gay men, it's a very specific hookup place. So I probably want to do it. But I mean, it's not even anything to try to be funny. It's really one of those things. If you go to like Central Park, it's a gay hookup spot 24-7. A lot of gay dudes will go to parks to hook up. So for me, I would be like, no, I don't want to go to a park with you. It feels a little weird to me. But I can see why like a good romantic walk in the park, like let's say it's flower season for like the cherry blossoms or something. That would be very romantic and beautiful. So I could see why people would do it. So let me ask you this, because Central Park is obviously a very public tourist attraction, well-known in New York City. Um, are you hooking up, a meeting and hooking up in the park at night? Are you hooking up behind the bushes? Like where in Central Park can gay people hook up where it's not so like, whoa, everybody in public can see you guys. You know what I mean? Um, it honestly depends on the gay people. Some people love the voyeurism and possibly getting caught. Some people want to be more secretive. It just kind of depends. I mean, if you go on any of the hookup apps like Grinder or Jacked, you'll see specifically in people's profiles, I love public play in the park, something like that. And people are about it. So it kind of just depends on the vibe. Yeah. Wow. Um, so Central Park, to my knowledge now, Great place for hookups and a great place to get murdered. <laughs> that's 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 what I know because uh, the last I've heard about Central Park, I think was like uh, you know murder, you know someone being murdered while they were jogging or something like that. So that so now now I'm getting a perception of Central Park as like whoa, either you're gonna be you're gonna see someone being done or you're gonna get or you're gonna go see someone being murdered. <laughs> oh boy. Um. Oh, God. Going to a parent's house was voted one of the 10 worst places for a first date. Again, why does this even have to be said? Like, hey, nice to meet you for the first time. Would you like to meet my mom and dad? Totally. Yeah, that's totally not a big, serious first step. Right. That's very Norman Bates. Like, I would be afraid to be murdered if someone's like, meet my mom on the first date. I don't know how I would react. I feel like I would just leave. I wouldn't even talk to anybody. I would just get up and go. Yeah. God, maybe that person's like turned on by their parents 
watching them on our first date. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 10 worst places for a first date, staying home. Oh, yeah. So staying home was voted for that. So that 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 brings my personal story. This is probably the the, the best story I got in terms of a worst place for a first date. Because other than that, I mean, I've been to restaurants, museums, uh, you know, I, I've been to uh, outdoor events. I mean, I've been to some pretty decent places for first dates. So um, b- back when I was, uh, I, I think this was like within a few months of, of, of me, you know, beginning my time, uh, Vermont full time. Um, I was just getting to know people. I came across this girl in a convenience store close to where I lived and worked. And, you know, she, she was cute. And she was, you know, flirty with me over Facebook Messenger because she knew me from the radio station that um, I was I was working at nearby. And, um, you know, she was kind of shy and awkward and we didn't really have a place to think of, I would say, a more polished professional place to have a first date. Um, you know, this this is a, an idea of the kind of character I was back then. I just I wasn't really looking at it from the perspective of like, oh, this is going to be a date. Um, I, I looked at it from the perspective of, oh, here is this cute girl that, that seems to like me and she also has a kid. So not really all about that serious stuff. So I was, I think I was looking for something casual. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess we can't really think of a movie or a restaurant or whatever to go to. I mean, we could go to my place. I was renting a room from this old lady in her home. It was, (laughs) it was, it was awful. Um, so, you know, I invite the girl and her dog over. Uh, this is when I had my former dog buddy at the time. And from what I remember, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, we talked. We had a good time. We smoked some. Uh, what, what, what's that called? The THC pipe? Is that what you call it? The THC? The, um, like the pen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The pen. Yeah. So so she, she offered me that to smoke. So we did that. We watched some Netflix. Um, and, you know, clearly, I mean, you know, she's in my bed and we're chilling out and my mind goes where almost any straight guy's mind go when they're put in that situation out of the gate. Uh, so, you know, there were some things that happened that now I, I would uh, try to take back, but it was there. I do remember her dog taking a poop on my carpet in my room. So that was, that, that was wonderful. No, no, it, it was wonderful because she was shy and awkward and she was just like, Oh, sorry. And I was just like, Oh, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll clean this big lump of poo up. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was weird. It was a first date that was not defined as a first date based on my casual sense of mind back then. Uh-huh. Um, the moral of the story is, uh, you know, if, if you know, if you're trying to get to know somebody in a sort of romantic, sort of casual, even if it's just a casual sense, I don't know. I mean, just, you know, just immediately saying like, hey, here's my bedroom that I'm renting from this old lady in, in, in this house. <laughs> this was obviously before I met my lovely fiance Tony. So I, I've I've been a changed man for the better. And and as time went by, as I saw her subsequently after that, I noticed that she was kind of uncomfortable with me. She didn't really want to speak to me much and flirt with me much as she did uh, leading up to that. So I had the sense that she was probably uncomfortable with that night too. Uh, I feel like bringing somebody home the first night is one of those times where it's like. It's either going to go really good or I'm not going to talk to you again afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was playing with fire. Mm -hmm. I was playing with fire, I think, uh, because, again, I mean, she had a kid and maybe she was thinking a little bit more traditional date sense than I was. 
And she also had a uh, what seemed like a pretty toxic, jealous, jealous ex who seemed like he was a tad racist. I've never met him in person, but uh, yeah, so there was a lot going on and I should have, you know, been more uh, uh, controlled. (laughs) But, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, you know how it is, Andrew. I mean, you're single and sometimes you get a little bit adventurous and a little bit like, whatever, right? I'm going to just like dive into fun experiences and see what happens. And then, uh, I, at least for me, you know, now being in a wonderful relationship for over two years, uh, you know, now, now I look back and I'm just like, oh, God, <laughs> I'm so glad I'm someone. <laughs> I can't recall any time where I've had a first date. Well, I would not, ne- I won't bring anybody back to my house on the first date. It's just the thing for me. I'm like, you've got to be saged and cleaned before you step into my door. So some people are weirded out by it, but I have gone to other people's houses for a first date. And then I'm like, well, let's just hook up. I'm just down for that now. Cause I'm here already. We might as well. And then after that, I'm like, you're in the friends with benefits category or you're in the hey, I'm probably not going to ever see you again category. Because this like, there's two things that can happen. There's not much of a place to go. And I can't really be adventurous with you because I feel like I've already done all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think from this conversation, it's safe to say that if you are going to somebody's house for a first date, chances are it's going to be a hookup. It's going to just be, all right, you know, you're attractive and I just want to get to the point. I'm not really interested in, in, in trying to get to know you or whatever. And look, you know what? If two people consent to that, that's on them. That is okay. Right. Uh, but definitely in the traditional, like, get to know you first date, eh, maybe not Maybe not so much their place. <laughs> now, you did give a really good idea. A museum is a great first place to go on a date. It can be. So uh, if, if this was uh, back when I was uh, in my home state of Connecticut. Um, and it's funny because the I, I think maybe I suggested the first date, either I or she. I have no idea. But what I remember about that date. So we go through all the museum paintings and then there was this empty auditorium that we went into and the girl had a adventurous personality, much like I would say I like to have a, a lot of the time. Um, she sees these puppets and for this empty auditorium in front of no one, she's like, Hey, let's perform, let's perform a puppet show. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and look, I mean, luckily, look, I, I have a background in theater and acting. So I was, I was open to it, but as we were doing the puppet show, as we were doing all these goofy voices and whatnot, I'm just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, this is the, the most bizarre first date ever. We, I, I, I mean, we had a date at Chuck E. Cheese's. That, that was another date. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then I think she broke things off with me. She kind of ghosted me. I think, ironically, because uh, I shaved my beard. Like, I had a beard for a little while. I, I had some facial hair going on, much like I have now. And uh, I remember shaving completely. And then the, just the whole vibe changed. Like all of a sudden, like she looked at me as this like child. I, you know, I, I happened to have like a Mickey Mouse shirt as the first thing that I wore, <laughs> as the first thing that I wore after I shaved. So, and, and she was a few years older than me. So I think maybe it was just like, oh God, like he looks like a child. And I don't know if this is going to work. I think that might've been what done it. Cause 
again, I mean, she recommended Chuck E. Cheese's herself for a date. I think she was the one that did that. So I don't think it was so much that we were doing childlike activities. I think maybe it was just like, maybe she looked at me and she was just like, oh my God, I feel like a cougar dating a two-year-old. Really? I don't, I, I, that, that's my speculation. I could be wrong. Maybe she just wasn't interested in me anymore. But um, yeah, no, I, from, from that girl and from another girl, I got the sense that like, oh God, I shaved and now you're looking at me differently. So I don't know. I wonder what happens if I, uh, well, Tony, my fiance, she has mentioned that she loves my beard and she would be devastated if I've shaved it. She, she is not stupid enough to be like, oh God, I'm never going to be with you again. But yeah, she, she's uh, one for facial hair. So yeah. Have you ever met those people? Have you ever met guys in your life who are just like, oh God, please don't shave the beard. Don't, don't take off your glasses. I am one of those guys and I have met those guys because I love beards and I love body hair. I'm like, be as hairy as you want to be because it's so hot. But as soon as they shave, I'm like, damn, I'm still attracted to you, but uh, it's not as much fun. <laughs> Anybody will tell you that if they're like so passionate about your body hair, facial hair or whatever, and if you're going to shave it, like give them a heads up, give them a heads up so they can mentally prepare for it. Because if you just out of the gate, just surprise them. All of a sudden, it's going to be like, wah, wah, not so turned on by you anymore. It is. It's a shock. It's like, whoa. Like, if I were to shave, I can't even look at myself in the mirror. It's been 10 years since I shaved my beard, and I just won't do it because I'm like, no. And then the other side of it, if you're a very hairy person or have, like, a very heavy beard and you shave it, don't make out with the person without telling them that you just shaved because they're, it's like a cheese grater on your face. It hurts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love it i love it yeah no i mean i i've i've made some shaved alterations to my facial hair but um yeah i think i've had facial hair consistently since i'm gonna say like 2017 um because it used to be like i would like have facial hair and then all of a sudden i just be like oh i'm tired of it i'll shave it all off but yeah i think since 2017 i've kind of realized that like oh yeah i i look i i i prefer myself with facial hair because i am one of those people i don't know if you are that person where um, I will just look 15 years younger if I don't have my beard. And, um, you know, I, I like to, th th there's a distinguished quality to facial hair that I like uh, as I get in my older years. So, you know. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, beards were like the thing to not have. People were like, mm -hmm. oh, he doesn't, he looks unkept. And now it's like beard and facial hair is the trend and I'm loving it. And myself, the last time I shaved, I looked like I was 19. Like, I was like, what happened to me? I look so young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my mom, uh, she, you know, based on how she grew up and maybe the kind of men she was around in Haiti and whatnot, uh, she has always been of like, oh, no, the men should be cleaned and shaved. But yeah, you're right. I mean, as time has gone by, facial hair has really gotten in. Um, I do know that the mustache just it's by itself is creepy. It, it used to not be. Uh, but now people look at it like, oh, God, you're a 70s porn star or you're a child molester. So, you know, <laughs> a porn stash or if somebody does the handlebar stash where they like curl the ends of it. I love it. So the curly one, the curly uh, mustache thing at the end. I love that. I think that is a very like goofy, friendly facial hair competition thing that I love. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember like 2016, I tried to do to the just mustache look and it was, I got a quite different reception than when I was younger and had the mustache. Cause when you're younger and you have the mustache that's just growing in, it's okay. It kind of blends in. It's just kind of like, ah, you're getting older. 
but uh, there's a certain point where where your facial hair grows full force, and if you have just a mustache these days, then watch out, little girls. <laughs> it looks weird. It looks weird. It's like you have this caterpillar just over your lip like this, and it's it's weird. Yeah, I, I should surprise my fiance in the worst way possible by just having a mustache for the wedding. That would be so great. <laughs> uh, she would love that so much. Not. He would hit you with the flowers at the altar. <laughs> it's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> oh my God, so great. All right, well, I love this conversation. It went all over the place. It was so fun. The, t- uh, the, the worst places for a first date. Hey, if you're listening and you have a worst place for a first date, whether it's a personal story or an objective story, let us know. Um, uh, I am at anything show Francois on Instagram and TikTok, facebook.com slash anything show. Andrew, give your socials. I am on the TikTokies at AJ Vandertunt underscore between AJ and Vandertunt and Instagram at AJ Vandertunt as well. No underscore for that one. Yes, and it should be noted, A-J-A-Y, not just A-J. Yes, A-J-A-Y. Somebody messaged me the other day. They were like, it was so hard to find me because they just put A-J. So it's A-J-A-Y. Underscore Vandertunt. Yes. Ken, how's it going this morning? Very good, John. So you co-authored this book. It's called This Was CNN, How Sex, Lies, and Spies Undid the World's Worst News Network. Um, Let's start with... Um, I believe the CNN insider that you wrote the book with and what he saw uh, behind the scenes, because I believe it started back in 2017 around the Charlottesville riots where he became disillusioned with the network. Uh, can you can you kind of tell us that background there? Yeah. So Carrie Porch was a satellite uplink technician for CNN, and he actually started working at CNN in approximately June of 2017. And the interesting thing is he entered CNN as a Bernie Sanders supporter. He'd actually spent a lot of time the previous election cycle working for Bernie Sanders. And then the first job, the first major job that he got was covering the Charlottesville riots. And he saw the development of the fine people hoax. And it just started him on this journey, which ended up with him uh, approaching James O'Keefe at a uh, convention that he was actually covering for CNN and saying, hey, I work for a three-letter agency and uh, I want to talk to you about what I see behind the scenes. So what is the fine people hoax, if I may ask? So the fine people hoax is the hoax that President Trump, uh, in response to the Charlottesville riots, uh, equated neo-Nazis with just fine people, saying that, okay, when he said that there were both, there were fine people on both sides of the uh, debate about the Confederate statues, uh, that he was equating the neo Nazis and white supremacists as fine people when he had expressly said, look, there are fine people on both sides of this debate, except for the Nazis and the, the Ku Klux Klan people. So, um, and, 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 you know, that's one of the early chapters with uh, going you know, right through what Trump's statements were at what time, showing that really, if you follow the timeline, it's pretty remarkable that he was very um, quick to condemn the violence, to condemn the hatred. And, you know, the the most remarkable thing to me was realizing that uh, literally 30 minutes before 
there was the accident in with which the protester was killed when some crazy guy drove through the street. CNN had David Duke, the former head of the Ku Klux Klan, being interviewed. So if anybody was really sort of hyping this craziness, it was CNN, and, and that really got to, to carry. Were there uh, ratings troubles behind the scene at the network? Were they struggling to find an identity? Is this, did this sort of lead to a pressure for them to establish an identity that could capitalize on the like political polarization that we were feeling a lot of during the Trump uh, administration? Well, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful question. Uh, the first chapter of the book is really kind of a love letter to Ted Turner and the vision he had of CNN, because what he had was this vision that whenever there was a political argument, he would get the smartest person on the left to debate the smartest person on the right and let the audience make up their own mind. What it has kind of devolved in, really on both sides of the news, is that you know, CNN will get a smart person on the left and the stupidest person on the right. And, you know, Fox News will kind of do that same sort of thing. So, uh, you know, this book is really a call back to Ted Turner's original vision that, you know, hey, I, I can be on both sides of an issue if I hear something persuasive. So let's let's not name call. Let's uh, make our best arguments and, and let the people decide. Now, um so Perry uh, started working with James O'Keefe from Project Veritas. Um, was there awareness on his end and maybe on your end as well that there has been criticisms of Project Veritas, you know, as far as like, oh, they you know produce deceptive videos that targets mainstream organizations, progressive groups, they're, they're far right, they're biased. I mean, was there any awareness of that criticism? Like what, what, was, um, what was the source of like that trustworthy relationship going into, um, you know, this? It, you know, it, it's, it's a great question. So this is the third Project Veritas whistleblower I've worked with. And uh, I, Carrie I, did not do this, but some of the others had approached other outlets you know, when they saw something behind the scenes like a Google or Facebook. And, and, you know, what keeps coming back is that Project Veritas is one of the few groups that will actually do serious investigations and, and dedicate resources to it. But um, also to your question, Kerry uh, felt absolutely terrible during this time that he was doing the undercover reporting because there was this question of, you know, what am I doing here? You know, I, I you know, these people may be misguided, but they're people I, I, I really am, uh, you know, conflicted about this. And, and, and one of the, the people who uh, he was most conflicted about was a guy named Patrick Davis, who had been a 25-year employee of CNN. And, you know, they kind of established sort of a mentor-mentee relationship. And they went out to, to dinner one time and, and Kerry was recording. And, and this guy had said, you know, I've been with CNN for 25 years and, uh, you know, we are not what we used to be. I, you know, I just can't stand what this network has become. And there was a, a very significant discussion behind the scenes with CNN, at, at, with Project Veritas, about whether they should, you know, release this information. And they eventually decided, well, look, it's newsworthy. He's a 25-year employee. He's saying, you know, exactly what the thrust of the story is. And fast forward, a, you know, a year or so, well, Patrick Davis and James O'Keefe met for a beer to talk about things. 
and Patrick Davis ended up working for Project Veritas after the FBI raided Project Veritas. And so, you know, I, and I've spent some time talking to Patrick Davis and I'm, I'm like, you know, this was not necessarily a great thing that happened. Um, but he, he said, look, it was fair game. I'm a journalist. I understand this. And, and so uh, for me, that was like such a hopeful sort of thing that, you know, somebody like Patrick Davis, you know, ended up defending Project Veritas, even though they'd made his life quite uncomfortable for, for a couple months. Mm. Um, can we, without, of course, spoiling for people who would w- want to read this book, um, can we uh, dive into what uh, Perry and yourself found out about, um, you know, the argument that you made about, you know, CNN having ties to the Biden White House, uh, their, you know, their creation of the uh, of a digital warfare capacity, uh, their ties to intelligence agencies. I wonder if we could get some more insight into that, like how you how you found um uh, information leading to that argument. Yeah. So what I did was I, I hired, you know, this group of researchers who I think are some of the best in the world. And, and, you know, they, they started at the beginning saying, give us some questions, Kent, but we're not going to be able to predict what we find for you. And, and we found really two terrifying things. We found that CNN has a digital intelligence group composed of more than 220 individuals. And my guys came back to me and they said, look, for a company like CNN, you know, four or 5,000 employees, they need like 20 guys on this. Why do they have 220? And when they looked at, at the leaders of it, a number of them had military intelligence training in cyber warfare. So the question is, why is CNN building a digital intelligence group, which seems like a digital warfare group? You know, I can't tell you what they're doing. I'm just telling you that the size makes no sense. The other thing my researchers uncovered is that there were about 21 individuals at CNN, some of them significant on-air personalities like Jim Secuto, their national security correspondent, who had worked at one time for basically the intelligence agencies, meaning that they had worked for the government where they had signed security oaths. Um, And for example, in the case of Jim Secuto, he was chief of staff at the U.S. Embassy in Beijing, China, and special advisor to our ambassador there. And, you know, you can't tell me that a guy like that, you know, he's going to be privy to our nation's, you know, deepest secrets. And so you're telling me that he's then going to go on the air and tell us the way it is? No, he's going to, you know, he's bound by security oaths. And, and it's not just the security oaths, but what we fear and we speculate about this because that's all we can do is, is that, you know, if you work for a year and a half for the government in a position like that, you're kind of sympathetic and, you know, your buddy is going to call you up and say, hey, Jim, don't cover that story like we want to co- you, you want to cover it. Say it like this. And, and so the question is, you know, if you're a journalist, you're, so you're supposed to, you know, tell truth to power. Well, when you go work for power and sign security agreements with them, non-disclosures, secrecy oaths, uh, how are you ever going to tell the people the truth? Right. Uh, remind me how you pronounce your last name again. Heckin' Lively? Heckin' Lively? Heckin' Lively. Full of heck, twice as lively. <laughs> I love it. Ken Heckin' Lively, the co-author of the new book, This Was CNN, How Sex, Lies, and Spies Undid the World's Worst News Network. It is quite an interesting read. Hey, thank you so much, Ken. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much, John. The Anything Show with John Francois on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Join us on YouTube, facebook.com slash The Anything Show, 
and Instagram and TikTok at Anything Show Francois. Join Andrew Vandertunt at AJ Vandertunt.